Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast for the recently deceased. I'm Nate Roberts. I am Rodney Godek. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good. And um, it was a insane week. Um, our picks, although not directly related, were uh, super heavy, super philosophical, um, uh, the, you know, theology, the, you know, uh, based in religion. <laughs> the, oh, sure. Um, uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of subtext, a lot of intent by uh, two uh, filmmakers that are clearly have a, a vision and a story to tell or an experience to provide. And they're going to utilize everything at their disposal to to do that, to tell it. And they were two very diametrically opposed movies or experiences. Right. And I'm excited to talk about them. Yeah, yeah. One movie about, uh, you know, death and destruction. The other one about uh, rebirth. Uh, I mean, I guess you could say that, that Mad God had a little rebirth in it, too. But... Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, definitely. Well, there's a, yeah, there's uh so, I mean, the thing about it, watching both of these, uh, for me, these were both amazing films. I loved both of these. Uh, oh, yeah. I would recommend for people that are getting into this, uh, to the stream or, or watching this on the tubes later that these are, for me, these are both recommendations. What about for you? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh yeah definitely must watch movies um even if you're not into the genre like um yeah especially men uh you know it it dabbles in in horror in, in some you know it gives you some suspense here and there you know there's the chase there's a couple chase se sequences and and a little bit of gore, but the gore isn't even like your typical horror gore. Like it's a lot more, it's a lot more thematic. It's a lot more representative of the concept of the film, and not you know quite so much just slaughtering you know people. Uh, like, yeah, well, like... I mean, I could see. Um, I believe I've seen reviews, and I can imagine that these are both films that there will be certain moviegoers that they, these are definitely not for uh that sure. will walk out <laughs> of both of these movies oh absolutely yeah Ma i mean mad god the visuals in mad god um yeah unless you're unless you're ready for for some shock um you know <clears throat> he does some he does some crazy sh i've seen some of the craziest things i've ever seen uh in mad god yeah <laughs> i you know i was thinking if I had had Mad God at my disposal in grad school, things might have been different. I mean, I was super into dioramas and stop motion. Uh, I was remaking the board games, you know, the Fireball Island. I was hand carving one. I was shooting visuals of the island with a shitty digital camera. And I would just sure. stop motion, like rotate it on the table and then I would have like a, a, a pink light on it and then I would put a grid on it and I was just doing frames so that I could do a little visual of it like spinning like you would see as a three-dimensional model in like 
you know, PlayStation One's Final Fantasy VIII, where they're showing you a model of the goddamn city that you're about to infiltrate. Sure. Like I was just doing dumb visuals, and it had no purpose really. It was just, this is cool as shit to me. It's fun. It's a different way to interact with something familiar or a different way to present something familiar. It was unnecessary. It was superfluous. It had no real importance. And, you know, it's crazy whenever you watch Mad God, or at least for me, and I think back at the time, there was so much going on in that movie that would have informed what I was doing in grad school in a very positive way because a lot of what uh, the guy, Phil Tippett, who we'll get into does mad God. Um, it's like he's working through things himself and it's not necessarily from point A to point B. It's just like, here's what I'm doing or thinking or feeling or want to express. There's no rhyme or reason. It's just, I got to get this out of my system. And so, man, it would have been really sweet to have had that, uh, you know, shit. How long ago was that at this point? almost 20 years ago shit <laughs> yeah I, I i feel that way almost every time i see an a24 movie or when we watch the jeremy gardner movies i was like i was like man i could have made one of these on like no budget in my yeah. town and uh, and like i was so like in my late teens early 20s i was so into filmmaking and screenwriting and you know i've got stacks of of shit no one but me is ever gonna read and uh <laughs> and yeah. yeah yeah i feel the same way how like there's like back then you know there was no i mean i'm sure there would have been an appreciation for it but it didn't really exist the way the the low budge art house uh horror kind of uh exists now yeah um you know back then it was it was either slashers or it was um you know those those all the A-listers at the time, all the teen A-listers at the time, or I should say 20-year-olds playing teens, you know, like um, Scream, I know what you did last summer, Fear, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so if it wasn't that, it was your your Freddy <clears throat> sequel or your Nightmare, or your uh, Friday sequel or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's so nice to, to now have um, things like Shudder and companies like A24, you know, pumping out um, you know, really, really great content that not necessarily cost a lot of money. Um, well, and that brings up a good point because age 24 specifically, they make, or they, um, they help bring to the world a lot of unique takes on filmmaking as an art form and stories and storytelling. And, you know, most notably, um recently uh i suppose well shit it's just been a couple but i mean okay so x i think probably had some cachet to sure. to hit a mainstream audience because it has a slasher base but it's like art house slasher you know <laughs> yeah well um, it was it was also like x's kind of first like not really elevated horror it was like their first kind of like Hey, we can right. make slashers too. <laughs> right, but it was also like couched in like there's a guy that knows exactly what the fuck he's doing and how to tell a story and how to intentionally do things a certain way. Like all of the, you know, X is kind of straightforward, but all of 
the foreshadowing that's not overt, that's just hidden in the background or the dialogue that happens with the characters that then comes to pass later on. It's subverting your expectations. It's done so smartly that I guess that's the most standout that like you could see it having some appeal. And I think it, it did, but, um, the only other one that has had like big appeal that didn't cost maybe a ton would be everything everywhere all at once. Not horror, obviously not for our, our channel, but they produce a lot of content that you know is not going to make money. And it's a right. scary time because you want the studio to exist and you know that the fan base is there for them. They've developed that, excuse me, uh, already. And they're not going to go anywhere. We're not going anywhere. We're going to continue to see a 24 releases as soon as we possibly can. But I'm still concerned because at some point they, they need money. They got to, uh, and I'm just wondering where their profit loss statements are with some of the films that they produce, because you know that they're like mad God is beautiful and it's awesome. Is mad God? No, mad God's IFC midnight, Good. but um, men is an a24 though Medicine and so yeah. it's uh let's see box office gross seven mil i don't know what it costs to make it but it i can't imagine they're making a ton of money off it and so i'm just hoping that the people that are into film continue to see film like you were saying when we were growing up there's a different kind of feeling about film you know we still had blockbusters we still had the experience of having to go in a theater or then go see it whenever it fucking new released and you better hope that your vhs was behind the box art because you might not be, be able to rent that because everyone fucking rented that release yeah. when it came out and remember my, that yeah my local video store only had one copy of everything so it was like how am i gonna get to see this movie and yeah. sometimes i had to wait another week or two weeks that it had been out if it wasn't one that i was automatically gonna buy um it was such a different time. And now, you know, because everything is just so available and you, there's so much more of it, it's such a flooded market, so to speak. It's, I'm cautiously optimistic that good things will continue to get made, but I feel like it's still going to be narrowed and narrowed and narrowed because, especially whenever you look around at the kind of bullshit that people consume, you know, Top Gun is number one. And, you know, before that, Doctor Strange and these big blockbuster bullshit movies that we've seen a million times can really drown out the beautiful different stories that I want to be looking at and getting. Yeah, so. if, you, if you went and saw Top Gun or Doctor Strange uh, and haven't seen everything everywhere, uh, you should have spent your money on everything everywhere and and shame on you. And go yeah. see it if you still can before it gets out of theaters. Yeah, everything everywhere just had a uh, a home stream event I think last night where oh, nice. you could dial in and buy a ticket to uh, to stream it with like the country. I think they had like a dialing code that you could watch it all together. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, I mean, the movie was phenomenal, and and the fact that it's getting overshadowed by Doctor Strange and a fucking Tom Cruise movie who has been like the bane of Hollywood's existence since he was, uh, since after so the first film he made after legend whatever the hell that was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I still love Tom Cruise movies. Um, I, I do. I just, I, I like him as an actor. I can't do it. 
You know? Yeah, no, never. I Legend, uh, you know, I think he was like 16, so like, I, I forgive him. You know, it's got uh, Mia Sarah, Tim Curry. It's fantasy, right? So that's easy to forgive, too. Um, but like, you get into his 80s movies, I'll take... I'll take James Spader, uh, Eric Stoltz. I'll take any one of them over over time. You know, John Cusack. John Cusack all day over Tom Cruise. You make it sound like you're saying like that the way that you're proposing John Cusack and Tom Cruise are like pick the lesser of the two evils. It's the way. You, <laughs> is that what you're saying? Like you're not a big John Cusack fan, but you definitely watched John Cusack before Tom Cruise. I mean, I am a big John Cusack fan. Uh, okay, but, I, but I'm are. saying that I would definitely, you know. There, there were so many icons in the 80s, um, you know, with the Brat Pack. I like every single one of them is, is, was mm -hmm. a great actor back then uh, and, you know, probably still is now if they're doing things. Poor Joe Nelson. Um. Yeah. <laughs> so quick sidebar before we continue. You mentioned Brad Pack and it just triggered and we're talking about the 80s in a lot of ways. Have you been keeping up with Stranger Things? Uh, so Stranger Things, every episode's about an hour and 20. Yeah. Um, so... An hour and twenty on my on my um, treadmill um, while walking is uh, is like exactly my workout. So I've been watching one episode a day or a day that I work out. So I skip a day every once in a while. So mm -hmm. I just finished episode either four or five. Um, so I'm getting there. I'll probably watch episode six tomorrow morning. <laughs> okay, I'm trying to yeah. So I've been. Uh watching it there's a character coming up that like it's like this is um what's her name from uh breakfast clubs at ali sheehan ali sheedy that would be the, sheedy, ali sheedy. Be the, the, the weirdo yeah weirdo. yeah and it's like you're doing an ali sheedy impression or you're dressed like ali sheedy it's very intentional like it's kind of fun but it's like okay like you don't have to rip everything off the 80s yeah, like yeah. you could do your own thing which they do um Music's obviously great in this one. I don't know if you got to the uh, thing, but there's been a meme lately with um, yeah, Kate the, Bush. The Kate Bush song, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's the, that was the. I think that was the last episode I watched. Awesome. Oh, that was a tense episode. Yeah, it was good. They, I, it was good build up by the end of it. You know, you know, I I'm glad they didn't kill her because I like the actress. Um, mm -hmm. But they really should have, only because they like, I don't know. Well, it would have made perfect sense because that would have been like that of that would have correlated with season one when they f found Will's body in the um in the the quarry, I think, or whatever it was. Like it wasn't really him, right? But like the sadness of it and the music, it was all heightened emotions, and it was like for me, it was the most impactful episode of season one, and then it kind of went downhill after that. This would have been a perfect moment to do something like that where. Yeah, there are consequences for this yeah. awful stuff that's happening. Not everyone has to survive. Yeah, I mean, it, it's fine that they introduced the weakness and um, or the workaround because they would have had to have found a workaround eventually anyway. So yeah. it's fine. It's fine that they did that and saved her. But I felt like it was a good opportunity to to put some stakes in the game because they right. have not killed any uh, character that we care about yet. I know, and like. You kind of have to, right? You can't yeah, always you, just live. If you're just ki yeah. if you're just killing randos, I don't care. Like we don't care. We're no, not, we're not emotionally attached to these people. Okay. With that <laughs> being said, <laughs> with that being said, let me uh, 
cue this thing up here. Here we go. Mad God, a corroded diving bell descends amidst a ruined city, and the assassin emerges from it to explore a labyrinth of bizarre landscapes inhabited by freakish denizens. Written and directed by Phil Tippett. Okay. That's, yeah, that's an adequate um, lead-in synopsis. Yeah. yeah, I think that's fine. It's got a 7 on IMDb, which is, I don't, I don't know, out, outrageously high for, for what this film is. Considering um, what you would normally expect to see in IMDb, it does seem generous. Yeah. Because I would expect people to shit on this. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it's got, you know, praise from Guillermo del Toro, Kathleen Kennedy. Um, the Kathleen Kennedy comment's weird. <laughs> like, you know, we can ignore Kathleen Kennedy, right? <laughs> like, is, is she anything important anymore? Uh, I mean... What did she most know. recently do? Is Star Wars or something? Every single Star Wars show on Disney Plus and the, right. enti- the entire... Uh, uh, sequel trilogy. Okay, right. So I can be mad at her about Obi Wan being shit. Yeah, and and uh, episode eight. Right. Yeah. Obi Wan is so stupid. You know, it's funny. This is a good segue because um, Mad God Phil Tippett, uh, the creator of Mad God Phil Tippett, is a um, all star of visual effects specifically stop motion animation and has worked on a lot of the things that we grew up watching over and over and over again, most notably star Wars, then into, you know, like rebel cop Jurassic park and the like. And that's when things get shaky where CG starts to get implemented and he's more now doing other roles in the background, but all the, all the dumb fucking commercials that we would watch growing up, he was kind of involved in or a part of, or was behind the scenes in some way. Like, the Pillsbury Doughboy, um, you know, popping fresh, you know, sticking the finger on the belly. <laughs> I think he me. mentioned he was up, he was he was around when that was happening. Mrs. Buthersworth was doing her thing, all that <laughs> crazy. So Phil Tippett's been around for fucking ever. Uh, after I watched this, I I had to read or listen to some interviews with him because I was just engrossed with wanting to know more about him and how he this came about. Yeah, so Mad God um, was crazy. Uh, first of all, it runs just shy of 90 minutes, and it feels like a Tool music video without the music, right? Um, you know, it's stop motion, most of it's claymation, but there's some real people in there and some actual like camera m- motion that he, like, cut frames out of to to give you that stop motion feel which is which was cool um and there is definitely a story although it's a little tricky to follow um because there is no dialogue um it's essentially an experience um and and what you take away from it how you interpreted it that's that's your version of mad god that's how you get to to experience it that's how you get to feel about it um so i think in you know we are going to have like a very general discussion about some scenes and how we felt about it um because there's no Mm -hmm. real other way i think to discuss this movie 
Well, and it's it's sort of a situation where this is very much a piece of art. And so, you know, it reminds me of of being in school and being in a, a gallery or, you know, the gallery space or a classroom and there's pieces on the wall and we're all going to take our turn and eventually talk about the next piece and whatever that might be. And th this is invariably where there are, are some in class that are very able and or willing to dig in and try to interpret and talk about and exude as much information and have a dialogue about what they're looking at. But then there are others that are just not going to say a fucking word. They're also going to get a master's at the end of this, but they have no fucking clue how to interpret or interact with the work in front of them. And so you're like lacking a, a voice in this conversation. It's very frustrating. But to me, this movie is this experience where it's like, it's just a piece of art and it's, you get in, you get out of it what you're going to put into it. However you want to approach it and however you want to get in and dig into what's going on is what you're going to come away with. It's not going to feed you the traditional narrative or how to interpret or this is what this means and this is doing this and that's that. And it's not going to have any of the other things you would normally see in a film like you were t mentioning. There's no dialogue. All of those kinds of things are just gone. And so this really is a matter of you um, engaging with the material to try to get something out of it. The viewer has to do a lot of work if you want to get something out of it. But if that's not your thing, it's still a goddamn feast for your eyes and ears the whole oh, yeah. time through. 100%. Yeah, yeah. If you're not ready for something deep or you're just not interested, I mean, you know, you smoke a J and then just watch this movie... And I couldn't help but think of that. You're going to have a fucking blast. Like, this reminded me of, like, how much drugs I would do in high school and watch The Wall. Uh, yeah. Like, eight, like, teenagers should be lining up around the block to stream <laughs> Bad God <laughs> to, get, fu to get fucked dude. up and watch this movie because it, it would be fun as hell. Oh, for sure. That's all I could think about <laughs> while I was watching. I was like, man, I wish that I was under the influence of something right now. I just went stone cold sober and it was just like, no, oh, I want to see what's going on. And I didn't know what to expect. I'm not sure if I would want to know. I think that I would want to know. I think that this, a film like this is good in a setting where it's like, you, you kind of inform the audience what they're going to be getting into so that they're prepared how to engage with it. I think that that would be beneficial. I could see this being part of like a, a film series or a thing where there's a brief introduction by a host that mentions Phil Tippett and some of the work and just kind of like gently leads you into it. I don't want to say that his work doesn't speak for itself, but I feel that broader an audience would have a better time approaching it had they had a little bit of uh, ammunition to... Uh, going forward you know what i mean yeah yeah i agree a nice little i i would love it to be phil tippett a little uh from the director you know before the movie and just give him a little intro that would be sweet they used to do that uh with some stuff back in the day mm -hmm. um yeah i want to say jim henson has done it 
Oh um, yeah. Did he did he do it for storytellers? I can't, I can't remember. I don't know storytellers. Have to rewatch. Okay, so without um, without trying to sound too fancy, this movie is full of fucked up shit. Dumb it down. We're talking over yeah, people's yeah, heads. I'm, I'm just you know playing to our audience. Just trying to. <laughs> just you got to punch up, not yeah, down. Punch up, down, down. Uh, <laughs> Um, that you're going to be glad you saw. Um, it's, I mean, it starts right off with, um, with a guy, he gets, uh, he's got like a cool mask, he's got some tubes, he's, he's in a, like what, what they would put you in, like a, like a, almost like an iron lung, right? Where they, and they send you down mm-hmm. underwater, except he's coming down from the sky and there's like some cannons that shoot at him. And he goes through all these layers, these levels, and it reminds me right away of like Dante's Inferno. He's like descending. Yeah, I know. He's descending into hell, like, and it's and it's disgusting when he gets down there. Um, um, there's these like humanoid uh, creatures that are faceless, and it looks, it almost looks like their skin or the whatever their surface is is like hair. Yeah, like I think that that's what it is. It's like compressed hair. lint and hair. Yeah. And you see them being molded and molded. Yeah. And um, yeah, this whole first setting and a lot of the settings, the majority of the settings in the film are all very sort of post-apocalyptic dystopias. Yeah. Industri- industrial. Yeah, very um, industrial. Everywhere. There's one shot early on where you see the little toxic waste pool and it's just so beautifully that it's bright neon green and you see all the industrial hard edges, very few organic shapes, just him and interacting with it. But, you know, from that whole sequence that you're mentioning from then moving forward, like everything about the stop motion is so clean and so precise. You can tell that these are puppets, but things are so fluid. It's eerie. And yeah. as the film progresses, there are some moments like uh, when we get two sequences later where, where the, uh, the assassin is in the Jeep and he's driving through, he's driving a car. So this car is moving seamlessly as if it's an actual fucking automobile that is gas powered. He's driving through all those pikes with the skulls on them and the hair yeah. is whipping. So how do you fucking film hair flowing as fluid as it was? You know, it's like, it looks like that's live action. It's so clean. I'm thinking, okay, this is live action. But then the stop motion model is doing its thing, which is definitely stop motion. I don't know the tricks that they use, but they're so goddamn excellently crafted that it's a neat shot and neat things are happening. But like, that's what's like, you're like engrossed and God, it's. Oh yeah. They, they did such an amazing job. Like. I don't. I don't think the last big budget, and and we don't even know if Mad God was big budget. You know, we just know that it's that it comes from a guy who's made some money. You know, um, was what like Nightmare Before Christmas or like Coraline, and like mm-hmm. the, those movies don't hold a candle in in quality to uh, to the stop motion in this film. Yeah, because it's just it's it, it's this is going after realism. There are very few objects that are utilized that you um, can reference scale or um, our world to. Like, I think there's one moment where I see like a pencil Mm 
Um, but it's very infrequent that you see a common object that you can be like, oh, that's a paperclip that was used to make that. Most of the time, it, it it's it looks like a goddamn steel well, structure that yeah. you know it's a model, but it looks like a fucking real thing. Oh, at the same time, I don't think scale exists in this world because you've got your your assassin character who you would assume is our size, right? You kind of identify with him as the right. Protagonist. He's a human shape, yeah. Yeah, and then you you see like this this human in like a chair in like a dentist chair held back with his mouth open and like sewage and feces and is gushing into his mouth and it's it's like oh that's fucking cool and then the camera's gonna pop out and the assassin's walking by it and he's as tall as the shoe and he walks Mm -hmm. by the shoe very carefully and you're like oh wow well that that is weird that's a giant man who's being forced to eat all that feces and sewage that's being flushed into his mouth from a different part of the machine, which we just yeah. saw minutes ago, creating all that disgusting stuff that that was, as far as we knew, was just going yeah. down into into nowhere. Um, and yeah, that happens I mean, again <laughs> and again. It's like this Rude Goldberg type contraptions that continue to break material oh, yeah, down yeah, yeah. and he, then he, reassemble material to create yeah. new deformed grotesqueries of have human shape but are so unhuman it's uh <laughs> it's wild and so yeah like i mean those are like the broad strokes of what so it's like this guy that's that like the description said he's um going through in a labyrinth of all these freakish denizens and uh of all this stuff and so there's like a mission he's got a briefcase and he's trying to uh seemingly to plant this briefcase bomb to detonate the the this machine you know this yeah, this world yeah 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 but you know when he gets to his destination which is done beautifully too he references a map and like he's continually snipping off pieces of the map and the map isn't overtly they can't really see like point a to point b it's not a dotted line with yeah, an x yeah, no but like you see sort of images and then it like falls apart as he gets further into the labyrinth it's really just a neat little yeah touch. I, th- I thought it was great and he's um, folding the paper it looks like natural like how you yeah. would fold paper oh, yeah uh, but so like he gets to the goal and like um this is an, a theme that comes up a couple times in the film where it's littered with other suitcase bombs that obviously have not done what they were supposed to do yeah and like the futility of their seeming purpose right is like that you you just sit with that you know what i mean like right. that the weight of like it like for me like there's moments in this film like that specifically because you see it's like it seems like such a burdensome difficult journey right and there's stakes because it's looks horrendous if something goes awry what's going to happen to him you know and by the end of it you get to it and it's like this is all a fool's errand this is a suicide mission nothing is going to come of this and like the the futility of that for me i was like it was like gave me like a stick to my stomach type right. feeling because it's like how often are you in that position in, in life you know and that you feel that well, I think that's. I think that it is. It was gross. Uh, I think that is the overall theme when we get to it, right? So he, uh, you know, he overcomes these things. Uh, this great creature with a chainsaw that 
in my opinion, was a waste because he was only used for like to kill like one little monster, and then he then you don't see him again. It was so sad. That thing with the well, big mouth. The oh, the uh, creature with the with the chainsaw. Oh, it was so cool. Oh, the the hatchet. It was a hatchet, though. Wasn't oh, was it a hatchet? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Either way, yeah. The 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 one that's like really on like a lot of the posters with the big teeth. Yeah, and, with uh, the big the teeth. Yeah. Yeah, that was a creepy scene. That that yeah. is early on in the first assassins mission. Yeah, and then uh, so we were talking before we started about the hotel. He sees like a hotel, and you get a couple flashes in these windows, and like the first window, it's actual like live film footage of uh, of like porn actual porn and then like the next one is whatever and then the next one is like some dude just stabbing over and over and over again and and they're all silhouettes and it looks very cool and then it like comes back and so you're getting like a picture of like how crazy this world is mm-hmm. and uh and uh, before we continue with the plot i wanted to mention the uh, we were talking about the hair guys the humanoids that look like they're covered in hair um these characters are like uh, the lemmings, right? Of of this of this hellscape, this hell world, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, they seem to be doing all the all the jobs, um, all over the place, different jobs everywhere. Um, they seem to mess up a lot and just die because they messed up. And if they mess up doing their job, it doesn't seem to matter. Like no, the, yeah. The, the the thing they messed up just kind of gets pushed out of the way, and then the next group comes in, and hopefully they don't mess it up. Um, and I, and I remember thinking about them as lemmings and then there's a break in the assassin storyline where it goes to a, uh, a claw just picking up. It's a field of mounds of these hair humanoid bodies mm-hmm. and this claw is just picking them up and dropping them into dump trucks and the dump trucks are driving them away um, to be dumped into like a grinder to be recycled it's... into more hair being hair humanoid beings yeah um which uh yeah just just way out there stuff that you uh, really right. want that to you, see. <laughs> you and you interpret you understand like the intent or the messaging that could be there um and it's just done in such a bizarre absurd beautiful way that it's just it's kind of just more entertaining or like thoughtful uh experiences and it's just like fuck dude like it's just a hopeless and it's like jesus christ this this is our world we're no fucking better than this yeah. goddamn place like <laughs> so i mean look i don't think that it's um i think we'll continue on with like how this narrative goes because it's really just a couple of acts and but i i'm more interested maybe we should like pick out moments in it that i think speak to us or that were important so the first one is that that first assassin's mission yeah the first assassin. Um, so so he gets to the end and his suitcase it clicks but then it unclicks and it doesn't quite click to the last second so it's almost like it was defective not like cause, right right because nobody stopped the timer the timer no. just didn't tick yeah um, it went backwards a tick when it was going to strike 12 and right seemingly detonate so he and uh, the assassin at this point gets captured. Yeah. Um, and, and that kind of is, that's kind of the end of act one. And act two, uh, which I, which was a crazy insane sequence. Um, not like act one wasn't. Um, starts with uh, the doctor and the nurse. Um, mm-hmm. they, they cut the assassin open um, as kind of like his punishment. And they start rooting around and pulling things out of him. 
Uh, they pull out like jewelry, um, and then they start pulling out papers and books. Mm -hmm. um, and then the doctor finds what he was looking for, uh, like a larva of some kind that's crying like a human baby. Yeah. <laughs> that he hands off to the nurse, and that the nurse takes away. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> just like, I mean, I don't know, like, it's... Once again, it's the craziest shit you've you've ever seen, uh, or that you never knew you wanted to see. Because, because there wasn't, I don't think there was a single sequence that I was like, I was like, oh, gross, I'm, I didn't want to see that. Every scene, I was like, I was like, oh, that was fucking awesome. Yeah, and um, the thing that we haven't, I guess, mentioned outright is that um, this whole time, the visuals are all there, but. The other aspect that we haven't noted is um, the the score and the Ooh. sound design. Oh, sure. Because, you know, this whole thing, it's not just action happening with sound effects. There's a there's sometimes orchestral um, or industrial grungy yeah. type stuff. Uh, there's always musical type elements in the background that are giving you the emotional um, navigation of the scenes or the anxiety, like that whole um, autopsy type scene. He's, he's alive during this, but the oh, whole yeah. autopsy scene has like this weird metronome type, weird suctiony clicking noise that goes on in the background the whole time. And it's just unnerving. Yeah. There's, but, there's, and the, there's, but the yeah. sound effects, but oh. Jesus, the sound effects, because the sound there effects. are moments uh, you mentioned all the excrement coming down into the the one character like that was the, what they were the electrocution room was there before that the yep. sound of that event was yeah. so perfect so and the... later on in this like that the war scene good god yeah like the most amazing sound effects with well, stop motion the uh right so we were talking about that that extra and uh yeah the electrical so it was a bunch of people like heads hooked up to these these shockers that are just shocking their their heads. Yeah, there's a bunch of you, like a series of electric chairs. Yeah, you see all the all the sludge and slime coming out of them from under, you know, where their ass would be, and that's what the other guy in the dentist chair was yeah. he, was like just force feeding, being force fed it. Yeah. Um, yeah but so just, like so yeah, just the sound design, like because man, it's got to be an impossible task because you're animating in your own room and environment. And then now you need to put sound to it. And that seems like such a Herculean task, aside from just the stop motion that took years to film, because yeah. literally, uh, we haven't said it yet, but this is a 30-year project. 30 year. Uh, yep. Phil, Phil Tippett began it in 87 and had to shelve it from time to time to focus on other things, pay the bills, do a project or whatever, or just take breaks from the insanity of doing the work. Um, by the time he was nearing the end, uh, after listening to some of his interviews, you know, he had to, he committed himself cause he was like just psychologically drained and distraught from having worked on this and labored over it for so long. Uh, and a lot of that comes out in the work too. It's, it's wild. Uh, it really was a passion project for him. But so anyway, so all that work that you're doing to then now you have to have all these sound effects work with the intricate nature of what you just filmed seems so difficult or like you know you just built 
this amazing structure and now you have to build another amazing thing that's going to be on par with this other thing it's so daunting and intimidating to think about it like that you know what i mean it makes me sick just thinking about the amount of work that had to go in yeah because it really is a life's work you the know? audio the audio work is on is on par with the video work as far as I'm concerned. There were scenes where, specifically, um, I think it was either at the end of Act One or during Act Two, where um, there's almost like a so we were we talked about the lemmings and how they're kind of carrying out these orders. There seems to be like a boss, and the boss is on like four different TV screens, and he's kind of mm-hmm. truncated and turned to different directions, and mostly it's just a mouth. Uh, mm-hmm. A gnarly set of lips and a gnarly set of teeth, but definitely adult, human-sized head. Uh, but you can't see all of it, right? And he, his mouth is moving, and at the exact moments his mouth is moving, the sound that's coming out is baby talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the drones, the hair people, they do stop and kind of look at the monitors and mm-hmm. listen before they continue on with their work. And this scene is short scene, 10, maybe 15 seconds, but it was like, it was just so good. <laughs> like, yeah, I, 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 like, like, I like, I like, I watched extra hard to make sure that those lips were synced up with that baby talk. And oh yeah. They, and they absolutely were. And it was, it was like, this is so fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Like, it be, And that's the thing. Like, Every single vignette in this film, you can sit with and dissect and pick apart all the things that are going on sensorily and interpret and come to conclusions. Um, shit, like, I, I don't want to go and just talk about the rest of the, the film just outright. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> well, it seems like doing this in order isn't so bad. No, it's not so bad. It's just, like, it, it's not important to, to describe every single moment. And so... But more or less, so the first assassin's missions uh, obviously failed. He's now uh, autopsied. He a larva is extracted, and it's been given to this uh, plague doctor, Grim Reaper figure. Yep. Uh, shamanesque almost. They've got the bones. You know that was a great detail in this. Like that that character had these these bones dangling from its uh, wide brimmed hat, and you could see the the oh, plague doctor. I, I loved the plague knows. doctor. The... And every time it's on screen, it's it's it has, it's floating. It's an apparition almost. It's a, yeah. it's a ghost or it's just it hovers and it has the most it, like the flittering of its robes all tattered and torn. They and you see it regularly. They show the it's hovering above the ground, but you can see it wavering, and it's I you're, you're in awe. Like how the fuck do you do this? How do you do this? Because yeah. it it's insane I, I there's no way to explain it it's so um it's wild uh that was so anyway so that character takes over the little larva baby it's been handed over to him and now yep. he's on his little mission to kind of deliver this larva baby to a different character that we'll see later on this the surgeon kind of gets into does a takes that piece of the first assassin skull open and puts a telescope in there and they're going to start to uh, use that to get vision into his thoughts it looks like you know like yeah. they're seeing his thoughts and things like that um and so then i think we're gonna cut to the scene where we only get the other actual human actor that's doing normal live action right 
and that's um, the, inter and, interacting. And that's the mad scientist. Yeah, right? uh, this is this is played by Alex Cox. Um, he was also one of the. Um, I don't know if he's uh, he might be labeled as a producer in part. I think that he assisted with some of the funds in it, um, and was a buddy of of Phil's, uh, and so he was playing this role, and. Yeah, the last man. He's like sort of the guy in the top of the tower, and he's right. the one that's kind of um, giving out these orders to kind of figure things out. He's the one making the maps to give right. to the assassins with the briefcases to then go on their mission. And so this whole scene is him prepping another mission that's going to go. Right, right. And he's, yeah, he sends another one, which is great to see because the movie starts, the assassin is already in the tube coming down. Right. Um, so now we get to see where he's coming from and and who's mm -hmm. behind the these assassins, uh, so to speak. Also, this is like initiating Act Three uh, is the second assassin being sent, right? Yeah, I mean, I suppose you could consider it that way, or you know, I mean, maybe Act Three is more or less the Act Three is probably the the Garden of Eden and the the Big Bang, you know? Um, right. This could be maybe like oh, the, this is the, the bigger chunk this, of Act, this, of act this Two. Is, yeah, this is Act. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, what, yeah. But so this is the second assassin, and this one I loved this mission first because for me this this sequence now is same kind of thing. He's getting dropped down there, and now he has to navigate this hellscape, and he's going to interact with different kinds of characters. There's going to be other more absurd imagery, but this one he is utilizing a vehicle. He is not on foot the entire time, and this is like just where it's visual eye candy again to like the 10th degree because he gets a fucking motorcycle and it all sounds and looks so goddamn real he like bangs on the dash of it the handlebars whenever it starts breaking down it just sounds like it has the weight and and you know it's like the smallest little thing <laughs> um and then he gets into a jeep and every every aspect of the jeep the best part is going to be the war scene that's coming up where he has to cross uh like trenches and there's gunfire and explosions between tanks and other mechanized artillery and the sound here is where i was like holy shit because there's like gunfire and you see like the red or, or orange like uh tracers of the rounds going across the fields and it's like rapid fire machine gun they're sort of lasery but then you'll see it hit something and then and you see the explosion you see like a pyrotechnic practical effect but it sounds so goddamn real like an actual heavy artillery thing and then there's moments where it's shooting a different tank and then it's like it's miss 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 and then it goes, and it like and the sound over this side or over on this side it's going off screen the right way and i'm just like holy shit how 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 this whole, whole movie you're constantly being blown away by what they're achieving uh, in this this stop motion world, it's crazy. Uh, so he um, he actually uh, succeeds, though, right? This is this is where. Um... Well, <clears throat> he goes and goes and goes. He gets to the um, the spiral staircase, more or less. That he's got to keep driving down. Um, and I don't think we ever see him. Uh, we don't see him ever get to the bottom. He just he's he gets to it and he keeps going down, right? 
I'm a little. I think it. I think. Yeah. I think it cut. I think it cuts away before we actually see him conclude, and more or less, it, it leaves him there, and then it gets back to our plague doctor escorting the, the baby, and this is where we now meet our last little. I guess what I'll call like a Quasimodo, Quasimodo type guy, and he's sort of like a shaman, creature dude, with like leprosy or or something uh, he's got all these growths on him oh yeah this guy <laughs> and he's like yeah. a mad scientist type dude he's got yeah. two monkeys yeah. that just keep slamming each other with shovels yeah yeah and he yeah. electrocutes them to get them back to work yeah. and they start shoveling more shit yeah this this guy then, looked amazing yeah he had uh yeah because his face is all he's bubbly, got all those but then, growths like, on the, the facial side. hair yeah yeah and then it's like it looks like just stubble and it's very visceral. Yeah. So he's uh he's putting something together. Yeah, he's uh, he cleans his his little area up, and then he has like these little. It's like he's got all these things to interact with. The little uh, he opens up, and he has like the sort of there's this Garden of Eden scene. That's why I mentioned that earlier. Like where you see it now, there's this beautiful psychedelic. Oh, type right, color right, right, colored right, right. environment yeah 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 with, with these <laughs> he, weird he, things that have he, pill-shaped he like, heads he's 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 putting like fish food in there and you see what's it's piling up and it's actual maggots like live action yeah. maggots and then he like presses a button the two things come out that eat the maggots they're shoving them into their eating holes yeah and he presses the button again the spider creature comes out that eats the things that eat the maggots one runs away the other one gets eaten or gets taken away anyway. While and, the spider's like, taking that thing away, you cut to and you see like two lice that are playing cards and drinking tea. Yeah. Like what? It's like, yeah. <laughs> like so. Okay, so that moment right there, uh, those models took days or weeks to build, yeah. and then to animate and to shoot all that more days and weeks for a two second side clip that has no importance, no relevance, Yeah, but it was fucking cool. It's just super cool. And it gives you like the viewer a chuckle. Um, and it's just like layer and layer and layer yeah. all of the insanity that's happening in the environment. It just creates that tapestry of, of, of chaos. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, the, the plague doctor arrives to hand off the larva baby. The larva, yep. He gets the larva baby. Immediately, larva baby's in a contraption. He's winding it. Larva baby dies, but his goo is now fed to a machine to go somewhere to then get poured into a crucible that gets fired. And he pours that into an ingot. And then he has the oh, ingot. Right. He now puts that into a pestle, a mortar rather, and he pestles it to get into a dust. And he hands that off to the plague doctor. And this is where like the final scene commences more or less. Uh and the plague doctor says to open up the the hatch and he takes the dust from this thing, you know, because you got to think about how this dust created, right? Like mad scientist, last man in the top has an assassin go on a mission, fails the mission. They take the assassin autopsy him, take out a larva, gets to the plague doctor. It comes down here. And now it's like just all these layers of breaking down to now get this dust. And he launches it out the window and it more or less, visually creates the big bang and you get the 2001 space odyssey montage where now you're right. seeing creation uh, it, occur from this dust right it creates another world 
that immediately descends into dystopian madness. Um, essentially, the world that we know, uh, mm-hmm. that, we, that we just watched. Um, and then, uh, you know, we get a quick clip of the mad scientist, like, loading up another assassin. He's, no, he's not, no, he's not. He's just, um, the last image, he's just, he's looking down there. Oh, he just looks down. He's just looking down to yeah, see, yeah. Just... Wonder, I wonder, I wonder how he's doing. I wonder if I wonder if it's working, you know, like. See, okay, it, so that that's that is not how I interpreted it, right? Okay. So, this, so for me, for me, he's 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 about to send another assassin down, um, because what just happened is is it's the cycle, it's starting over again right now. Like the explosion for me was was the explosion, right? It destroyed the old world, created the new world, which is exactly the same as the old world. And now the mad scientist is like, "All right, guys, go down there and destroy it again." Um, that's that's how I took the ending. Yeah, I mean, I I saw it as like him, like you know, it's he's still there waiting for the results. He's still right. waiting for the test results of this this most recent assassin uh, to see what comes from it. Um, and yeah, and then it's just cut to, to credits and you see all the amazing artists and puppeteers that were a part of it. And man, it was wild. Uh, so in one of the interviews that I listened to, I don't remember, I don't think I texted you it, but Phil Tippett was describing how he would, um, early in his, his years or earlier in his career, at least he would, um, he would go out to dinner uh, with this guy, shit, I can't remember his name at the moment. Um, Foreman, something Foreman, Miles Foreman, or some other Foreman. I apologize for not remembering. But at any rate, it was a filmmaker, and he wanted. Um, Phil was asking him if he had any wisdom to impart because he's a, a virgin filmmaker. He's, he's about to come into the world and wants to get as much information as he can. So this guy, so he asks him, like, you know, what do you have? What wisdom do you have to impart? And the guy tells him, and this is Phil um, interpreting or re-paraphrasing uh, what was said, that the guy tells him, if you want to take a good shit, you have to eat a good meal. And so for him, what that meant, you know, in the way that I interpret that as well, is uh, you need to do all the preparation or all the work. You have to put all the time in or all the study, all of the... preemptive stuff that goes into creating a piece of work like that all has to be done properly in order for you to get it out of your system and to make something that is beautiful you know right. and it was just a really crude absurd way to say it uh, but i love it sure. all right um after all that insanity um I would have to give Mad God. I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with the IMDb audience and give that movie a solid seven. So for me, Mad God. Oh man, that's my uh, really. It's my first June one. Oh, interesting. Christ, yeah, because it's been a while since I'm in. Mad God for me is a nine. Uh, it's not a traditional film, and. 
but it's a nine. Hey, uh, it's hey, it's man. a piece of art. It's a piece of art, and and there's just so much to enjoy about it. In the for me, that's where it stands. It's just uh, it's its own thing. I can't compare it to other things that I would give a lesser score or a greater score to. It's just like it's its own unique thing. And for me at this moment, I feel that it is deserving of that score for me. So great. Awesome. That's where I got it. All right. Moving on to Alex Garland's men. A young woman goes on a solo vacation to the English countryside following the death of her ex-husband. That's a pretty simplistic uh intro line there i mean that's a good thing that it's simple i don't like some of the nouns that they use i don't i mean eh. the movies okay yeah we've already done spoilers and all that the movie starts with the death of of a character you know you see a person falling but you don't have any frame of reference to know who what when where why so i don't think that i need to read this i I wouldn't want to know this before watching it you know oh that it was an ex-husband right right well but but current husband that or current (laughs) husband yeah no that's true (laughs) they it would they were in the process not they didn't even start the process of getting no she had just brought it up yeah Um, all right uh, strokes yeah starring jesse buckley and rory kinnear uh rory kinnear doing a lot of work in this movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, and the broad strokes. I mean, uh, first of all, this movie's fantastic. It's A24. I expect nothing less at this point. Um, yeah. Uh, soaked in, in metaphor. Um, once again, not quite as open to interpretation as uh, Mad God. Well, you know, a, a little bit more pointed. Um but uh, atmospheric, slow burn, very tense. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as a as a man in a world where toxic masculinity is is being attacked um, all the time, and um, you know we're we're fighting for women's rights, we're fighting for uh, LGBT rights. Um, you know, this movie. Uh, you know, definitely can open your eyes to some stuff you might not um, be aware that even you do uh, in your day-to-day um, when you talk to women. Like, I, I think there was a lot of moments where the characters, the characters that weren't villains, um, where their dialogue was written in such a way that they were supposed to be helpful and friendly, but they were still, uh, you know, accidentally condescending or like where you, you could tell that it wasn't like purposeful for the character to, to be this way, but a woman is going to take it this way. And this is the kind of stuff that, um, that gets talked about when it comes to like mansplaining and, so they uh, were so they were villains. <laughs> I mean, right? Because you know, uh, maybe not overtly, but what do you think about the titling of the movie? Oh, men, right? Right. So, is it too on the nose? 
Well, okay, so if you take it from the perception of the main character, right, I, I think that for her, you know, her journey, um, because of the experience with her husband, mm-hmm. um, she was just very, um, I don't want to say too sensitive, but, like, she was obviously way more tuned in to um to that kind of treatment um because she was coming off of this this like all right so you know here you go the husband threatened um i will kill myself if you divorce me mm-hmm. uh which she very clearly it, she wanted a divorce right and then he says something like that and she's like yeah, you see, that's exactly that, why we why need to get a divorce. fucking divorce, you psycho. Right, right. right. You can't, All valid. You, yeah. You can't, you this can't is, say, that is yeah. emotional abuse. Yes. You don't get to say that You don't get to, to say convince that. me to stay with you. Exactly. So, And she says, you don't get to say that. You don't get to say that. And he says, well, I do. And I'm going to, and it's going to be on your conscience and I'm going to haunt you forever if yeah. you, if, if you do this, if you divorce me. Um, so he's like, He's f- trying to force uh, her to continue uh, to continue loving him. Is what she, it's what he wants. Because mm-hmm. uh, when she yeah, finally he, he wants the marriage to continue. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. want to break up. Obviously, yeah. So they have a uh, so he hits her. They have a huge fight. He hits her. She throws him out. She throws him out, and then he kills himself, or accidentally falls off the roof. Yeah, we don't know. Uh, uh, right. I I interpret it as he killed himself. Um, that's just how I see it. There's no rhyme or reason to to why I choose to see it that way. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Good, def- good defense. Yeah, I'm just I'm just saying like <laughs> well, okay, I don't know why. It's just it's just what I've decided. Yeah, it's just what I've decided. <laughs> I I think that it makes more sense. That he killed fucking... himself, right? He said he was gonna do it. He said he was gonna. Amber Heard should have called you for her fucking defense, Jesus. <laughs> well, and I mean, anybody... you, can, you can argue. You can argue a point strong. <laughs> anybody would have done a better job than her defense. Um, so, what I was asking about the title of the movie, and like you started that by saying how uh, you're talking about how her perception, yeah, is impacted by these original events Events, that we don't see in full, but that's what comes to pass. Right. And so it's not, you know, that is the event as, as we, as we know it now she's told it. Uh, And so what you're saying then is like that the title of the movie is really a referential thing to her and her experience that she is now seeing men as men. Yeah. This is all men. This is right. So, so we get another, we get another uh, device in the movie as a viewer where all of them have the same face. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, this is pretty cut and dry, Uh, you know, like all men are the same. Right. Which is like a cliche, um, you know, saying Uh, and, and, you know, they're not all the same. All the characters are different in the film, but, that's like the that's her position right right? like that's how she's feeling um that's how she's interpreting the way these men are treating her 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, she first gets onto the property. She eats the apple. I'm, I immediately think Garden of Eden. She of gets, she gets in there, and he, uh, she says something about eating the apple, and he makes a, a joke about it. He didn't intend anything by it. He's joking. She gets offended. Um, he gives her the tour of the place. He goes, hate to do this. Hate to do this. Shouldn't, you know, shouldn't have said, but be careful what you flush. Cause you're, you know, cause you're a lady, you know? So like he, like he has, he goes out of his way, uh, again to like, he, he doesn't mean anything by it. Yeah. He's, um, Jeffrey, the, the owner of the estate that she is renting <clears throat> for her holiday, we will use that term because this is obviously uh, England. Yes. And <laughs> so, uh, so while she's on holiday at this estate, he he's sort of like the like the bumbling country bumpkin esque type guy, you know, big teeth, yeah. what you would imagine a English country folk type guy to be. And yeah, he's sort of like a dad joke type character where he doesn't realize or doesn't understand the how it could be interpreted, the social norms of today and how you're supposed to talk with people mean nothing to him. He's lived this way his whole life. He's not going to pick up the new social norms. He's absent-minded to it. Um, Not maliciously slow, so, but in such a way that it's off-putting. Even to us, like, to make a joke, uh, the forbidden fruit, you know, and to say, do that, like, that's that's a bit condescending like and she's not she's just put off like and like uh, like yeah. that's a that's an uncomfortable joke you're making me feel like i did something bad i didn't i i'm staying at this place and there's an apple tree i'm gonna just eat an apple i mean i'm experiencing the english countryside yeah. in the estate that i'm renting uh For so yeah weeks, like so I, she's probably spending some good money right and so like i feel yeah because the he, you know he goes through and i think the other thing too this and this is where i talk about you mentioned how the film is um kind of uh not a lot to have to pick through however films like this and why i wouldn't gonna appreciate subsequent rewatches for this film i definitely will is that there are little um we'll call them breadcrumbs along yeah. the way that you can really get into. And so like he alludes to or mentions how the house is so old and historic, uh, Shakespearean even, uh, like that could have been around uh, the five hundreds or something, or it's been around for 500 years or it's something to that effect. Yeah. And so like, if you think about some of the things that are going on as far as, uh, the characters that he plays and things like that, multiple roles as far as play acting and Shakespearean um, works. There's little neat nods to, to things that are going to go on that I really love in this film. And so, um, so in general, do you like that title? Cause we, we we pulled away from that. Do you like it being titled men? Uh, so, I'm going to say, I'm going to say yes, but yes, but maybe it could have had a better title, but again, I don't think there is a title that could have worked better, right? Like, 
you know, it's it's a it's a fine title. I would have liked for a better title, but when you consider the film, could you have come up with a better title? I don't think so. Right, because it's more or less alluding to a theme or the theme of the movie, and uh, it's just going to be unapologetically upfront about the theme of the movie. Uh, I think it's just meant to reinforce, like, don't have any illusions. Like, this is what this is about. There's all kinds of other stuff going on to help inform, but this is the point. Uh, this is how our character is perceiving the world. This is how a lot of people are perceiving Because in general, like, the, the main character, Harper, is us or is the... <sighs> You know, it's us as a bystander, and it's it's women so, in general. Yeah, how... yeah. So I think the main character is not really the main character. I think all of the men are the main character, and she is the audience. It, I mean, I think that's. I, I, I'm not saying that I disagree <laughs> with that, but I think that like it's it's more or less saying the same thing. I don't think that saying she's main or their main. Is... Right, right, right. Okay, okay, okay. So. Right. The story is about the men. It's semantics. The story, the, the, yeah, the story right. is about the men. The story is not about her. She's our she, navigator she, yes, through she, it. Right. She experiences the the men. Right. Yes. And that's yeah. right. Exactly. Um, and yes, and that is not something everybody would pick, would get. Like, and that's why you watch our show and then you go back and you watch the movie <laughs> a, a second time. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, men. So, you thought the I, I thought that the Rory Kinnear playing all of the roles was neat. I really enjoyed that part of it. I loved it. I loved it. Um, because it was sort of like an obvious thing. Like, okay, yeah, like she's seeing him. Yeah. She saw the one guy, and now everyone she sees is just like that guy because she's she's just wrapped up in her thoughts or head. She can't discern individualism because they're all contributing to this overarching idea of what she hates about men or dealing with men in general in her life due to the trauma from this most recent experience with a man who was seemingly she had married. She married. Like he, like he repeated, we made a vow, a sacred vow. So there was a point in her life where she loved that man. (laughs) Right. And now something has happened so catastrophically that it has gone awry or isn't working and then he turns into something else. And so you can't fault her 100% for being very skeptical and not seeing people for uh, their true identity, but for putting a label on them, which we all do in- inherently. Um, none of us come to any interaction with a new person compl- without any bias whatsoever. You know, people, what do they say? People make their first impressions within like two or three seconds as to whether or not they're going to be positive or negative about you. Sure. And so that's sort of, I loved the, the visual tool of using him as all of these other characters because it was subtle in moments. It was, you knew, but it was off putting at times, you know, the child that his face was digitally thrown onto was odd. The teenager. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, okay, so let's talk about uh, the other men. Um, her her next encounter with a man, she goes on a nice long walk uh, through the through the woods. She finds this cool tunnel uh, mm-hmm. where she sings, and it, and it echoes back to her. And then there's this uh, creepy naked dude. 
Yeah, it was a, <laughs> this scene was a super haunting scene. Yeah. Uh, it was a slow build, her testing her voice, and she has a bit of a set of pipes, you know. She yeah, knows sure. and has a, has a pitch, and she was throwing it to try to get the echo to do, and, and this comes back as an audio uh, auditory audio yeah, as an yeah. element that is utilized later in the film with the, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. like it's, it's and there that, at the end. And it's awesome. What was the one where she said, fuck. I don't know. Cause, uh, cause there's like a, like a fuck off or a fuck. No, or a, some, I think it was fuck off in the echo. There was like a fuck off echo. And then they did a, they did a, a fuck off song uh during one of the sequences um i didn't catch that oh yeah oh it was great it was great it was i think it was like the second time you hear it okay yeah 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 you gotta yeah yeah the the second the second watch on this i can't wait for the second the second viewing of this because anastasia hasn't seen it and yeah i think she's gonna fucking love this movie yeah <laughs> yeah you be careful <laughs> you know that's the thing like it's like hmm, do i let a woman watch this or do i not i don't think you're allowed to say that bro <laughs> <laughs> okay okay all right, all right but so she don't she... know don't hurt her yeah so 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 she uh she's playing sudden, with the echo yeah, and all then of a sudden he's there and he rises he kind of like he kind of goes like yeah <laughs> and yeah. starts running straight at her um so can we sidebar really quickly? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, Because this scene brought to mind, uh, in college, my friends and I uh, would go uh, in the sewers underneath campus. There are storm drains, but they were tall enough for you to like just run. And there was water that ran down them, obviously, because it was a storm drain. But you could kind of like, we called it like sewer running. You could kind of do a couple steps over here, hop over a couple steps couple steps hop over a couple steps and like you know you're it's like ninja turtle stuff yeah anyways we navigated and we got used to them well we knew their paths where they led out into this area this area sometimes on campus but then if you followed it it'd go all the way to the river in town and you could uh just get out and walk above ground back to campus anyways we're like oh we should um we planned on pranking some people and we were going to try to scare them in the tunnel and because it's pitch black, save for your flashlight, like there's no light every now and then the storm drain where you can see a little light. And uh, I was in the studio painting one night. We there was three of us that knew of this tunnel and we would regularly go. They the two of them arrived in my studio uh, on campus and we're like, it's going down. We're taking a group. You need to get down there and get ready to scare the shit out of them. So I was like, OK, let's do it. I, I so I, I bolted. I was like, yeah, I was in the middle of just doing work. So I fucking bolted. I run all the way downtown to the river and I come into the sewer from the fucking river. And I just, I'm just running in darkness because I know that they're coming from the other side and I don't know, I know where they're going to be, but I can't remember how far or whatever I have to do. So I just run, 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 run until I think I'm there. And then I just wait and I'm in darkness and like it's freaky as fuck. And so then I do pretty much what happens in the scene with Harper. I'm just waiting there. And then I could tell that they're there. I see their flashlights going on the walls very, very far away. And then I take like my two flashlights and like I flash them and like I wait a second and I flash them and then I start making noise. Like I start like running towards them and it freaked the fucking shit out of these people. They were terrified 
and they and then my friends played it up and they ran and they got up a campus and for a while for several weeks like people you would hear rumblings from time to time of people that heard about some weird fucking townie that was in the sewer (laughs) (laughs) it was me it was it was awesome rodney godek the urban legend (laughs) (laughs) there's all kinds of stupid shit that we did but yeah man so uh Sorry, I just I, this film made me think of it, and I hadn't relived that experience in a long time. It was wild. <laughs> All so, right, so so she runs, she runs and yeah. runs and runs, and uh, she gets she gets home, and uh... <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Let me give it a quick detail. Like, so she she's terrified she skipped she misses her one branch to get up to the road to get back to the estate and she terminates into a different tunnel that's been boarded off she can't get through so she has to run up the embankment really steep and she feels like she's safe she's like oh good it's fine she looks back there's a weird fucking building and she goes take a photo and right the the green man what we'll call the green man because he is nature embodied he's the green man he is the green Uh, man he's and, and there's dong in this movie dude there's a bunch of swinging dick. A lot of dong. Um, and he's in the frame, and she doesn't yeah. realize it, but she sees she, that she was the guy that later. was following me, and she's she freaks out and she runs back to the house. Right. Um. So later, in the house, uh, he's gonna approach her and stick his hand through the mail slot, and she's gonna call nine nine nine. Um. Not nine rescue nine nine nine, and uh, and then she's gonna get interviewed by a female policewoman. <laughs> because yeah, it... because we will have seen uh, Jeffrey's face and we will have seen the green man's face and we will now know that they are the same face. In case you didn't already know, um, but this female police uh, officer, we see her face normal. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, there's a male police officer on the scene, but we don't see him at all. No, yeah, you can't uh, really see him. And this is like um, the only other female uh, lead character in the film is um, her friend who we hear on the, the voice chat yep. uh, and the phone. And then it's just this other female police officer. She's a seeming ally. You know, she's apologetic of the experience. So it must have been so scary. But um, and she that's all she is like, you know, we'll be in touch and we'll take yep. him down. It must have been a bit of a fright. And yeah. and that's and they, it, you know, and they, and they take him away. Yeah. Um, so then, so then she wants to. She has the journey to the church, and she meets right. the. Uh, she meets the the vicar. The te- the, well, she meets the teenager first, right? Right. And then the vicar comes out uh, to kind of uh, interject because she he assumes that she's not having a good experience with the teenager. Well, um, that and she, he sees her um, screaming in the pews. Right, right, you know, right, right. Because she has one of those flashbacks, yeah. Yeah, where you get more of the the story, and she's just screaming over the event. Right. So even hurt. though even though I told the whole story with the husband at the beginning, this gets doled out over three or four flashbacks throughout the movie. Probably I think about four flashbacks. <sighs> so ju- just for the for the listener. Um, right. So the teenager is like, "Hey, play hide and seek," and she's like no <laughs> and the vicar comes out and um says whatever and the but the teenager who has the superimposed face right uh calls her a stupid bitch 
um, mm -hmm. because she won't play hide and seek with her with him so, uh, once again another instance of um, a male character imposing uh, his emotions onto her and making it her responsibility to okay in you know for with the teenager specifically it's entertain me oh mm -hmm. oh oh you're not going to entertain me you stupid bitch the uh, the husband love me oh you're not going to love me I'm going to kill myself what do you think about that um, so this is a recurring theme through the movie with all of the characters um, as we will see one at a time. So the conversation with the vicar, um, also very uh, unsettling, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because he right away sees that she's grieving and he seems um, conciliatory about it and letting her experience her emotions. But then he very um, abruptly puts it on her and says, well, did you give him a chance to apologize? And yeah. she's like, what the fuck? And takes a, takes her out of the story for a minute and he's like well you know it's you must feel guilty because you you caused him to do that yeah um you must be processing that guilt that you led him to kill himself and he's 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 apologizing uh for you know like it uh, the husband it wasn't entirely the husband's fault. fault uh she had a lot it was really her fault she should have apologized had he struck you before no no you should have let him yeah he says two men things. make mistakes <laughs> yeah he says, he says two things here that are insane he says men strike women all the time they shouldn't but you know you have to give him a chance to apologize right and then the second one he said was um oh ah jeez i think you might have already said it it was about like it being her fault Right. Yeah, because she didn't give him a chance. To that you this. that you led him to kill himself, more yeah. or less, I think, yeah. is how he puts it. Ah, uh, yeah. So she like gets up and is like, "Fuck you, dude." <laughs> yeah. Because what you know, once again, like. Well, and he's handsy. You know, his hand lingers on her thigh yeah, too long, too. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, he did that. He did that. <laughs> uh, one thing we have to mention because we because we did skip the in the church. Okay, so in the church. She has oh, that, the imagery? The imagery, right. So she has the flashback, and she has the, and she screams, and that's one of the things that brings the vicar out. But there's a giant... Um, I think uh, it might be like a like a baptismal fountain type thing. Yeah, yeah. Or a dais? Is, is that how you pronounce it? A dais? A dais? Yeah. yeah, something like that. Anyway, it's got two carvings on it that are important. The first... Bas-relief. Ba <laughs> there you go. It's just the kind of sculpture. It's like a bas-relief type <laughs> thing, yeah. <laughs> um, so the carving that faces uh, us as you would enter the church and walk down in between the pews is the is the green man, mm -hmm. um, and the uh, statue on the or the carving on the other side is can be interpreted as um, like Mother Earth herself, right? Um, opening up to maybe even giving birth in that stat in that piece. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's a, it's a woman with her pussy spread. Like yeah. it's it's kind of like right there in your face. Like yeah, and it, yeah. it's it's very. Uh, I, I believe that there is a um. A term that w it does describe that kind of character in the in the scriptures or whatever the fuck you want to call it, as far as um, but embodying those kinds of symbolism, uh, 
giving birth or life. Um, yeah. So, so, all right. So the, those two images are important only for, uh, you know, the end of the movie, <laughs> the, the climax. Uh, hey. Hey. <laughs> all right. So, uh, so two more creepers down. She's so shooken, shaken, shook, <laughs> shaked by <laughs> shocked by this uh, this uh encounter with the vicar that she goes to the pub that jeffrey told her about yes he was he was funny about the pub uh like a stone's throw uh 10 minutes walk 30 minutes on the way back yeah 10 minutes there, 30 minutes back, yes. <laughs> uh, so we get inside we have bartender we have cop we have Jeffrey. This is the male cop who was on the scene that we didn't see before. Yep. And we have and Jeffrey. Then two, and two, then two townies. Two townies who yeah. look ridiculous, like the haircuts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to like a couple of soccer hooligans is yeah. what it seems like, yeah. But once again, the face is imposed on every character. Um, so even the cop has, has uh, the face superimposed. Um, and she... You know, oh, Jeff- okay. No, it, it, the superimposed face, the only time CG is implemented is whenever it's with the child because it's a child actor. Oh, and right, right. Actors. Rory Kinnear is in makeup with every right. other character. He's right. wearing contacts and have a bald cap or whatever, wig or whatever. Yeah. He's doing all of that in physical um, makeup effects. It's right. not... Um, so when you say superimposed, it's not it's not a digital type thing. He's playing the role. It's just... Um, right. Yeah, right. I, I, yeah, I just mean, yeah, to, right. to, yeah, that the character obviously isn't supposed to look like this, but it is, but it does, for whatever reason. So she orders a vodka soda, I think, or a vodka tonic, and um, she never gets her drink because these guys drive her out of there so fast. Jeffrey is obviously concerned because um, it's his tenant and asks what's going on. She tells of the story of the creepy vicar, and somehow it gets revealed that the crazy man has been released. Uh, the green man has been released, and the she's like, what the fuck? And so her and the cop kind of go at it here. Um, yeah, they're back and forth because, um, you know, he explains like, well, we, we, we couldn't have held him for anything, uh, which is seems somewhat valid, you know, if there's a homeless vagrant type guy and yeah, he might, even if he were to interact or he didn't physically assault technically, uh, there's indecent exposure, but is that something that you can like keep a man arrested and in jail awaiting a sentencing? No, you're probably just going to give a summons to then come to a judge to, to do whatever. Um, so you can't hold him indefinitely until that time comes. You kind of have to release him on his own recognizance. So you would hope that they would be sensitive and inform her, be like, hey, this guy that maybe kind of had a conflict, you should know this. But those social graces don't exist. And so she's taken, she takes this as an affront to her uh, safety 100% because this guy did seem like a hostile threat earlier. He was trying to get into the home. He was looking through the windows, stalking her more or less, following her from the walk. Um, it seems like he was a threat for sure. Yeah. Uh, so she storms out and, uh, and walk in you know, a power walks back, but about halfway there, something weird happens. Yes. Is this well, the, well, 
the green man uh, is in the shadows and he does see her. Yeah. Uh, and so she freaks out and starts running. And right. then she, but she gets back. She gets back fine for another day. No, I think things happen this night. This is, this is the night. Yeah. 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 Right. Okay. So, so she doesn't make it back to the house. She makes it to like the courtyard where, right. uh, where she turns to find the green man has now transformed a little bit more. There was a one quick scene where you see him like cut a slit in his own forehead and slide a, a leaf in there. Right. And now when he comes around the corner, he's got he's stuck branches all in himself and and you know <coughs> excuse me. As you <laughs> as you might have been like crazy homeless guy for this character through the whole movie. I mean now he's taken on the, the green man like persona like completely. Right. So when she uh, when she gets back to the house she kind of contacts her friend to have her um right, come. Right. And uh, and then that's when the um, the interactions with characters start to happen, and she becomes under like attack more or less. The the cop shows up outside, and right, she goes outside because it's the cop. And right, the lights, the, the lights start flicker, to flicker, and the cop's gone, and this is where the green man is full green man, and um, he blows the the dandelions, and. Um, she inhales one and then and now this is where everything goes nuts and you know you got to ask yourself because a24 movies have done this kind of thing before where it's how much of it's a hallucination how much of it is real how much of it is she's crazy because of the guilt grief of her husband killing himself blah blah if any of that stuff even exists for me for me you have to take everything that happens here as if it actually happened and it's just a fucked up string of events mm -hmm. i don't i don't take any of this as hallucination or or all made up or anything like that especially with the ending right um i don't i mean the very ending like i think that kind of seals the deal as in like all this stuff actually happened and it's just like a crazy uh series right. of events right um so the it's 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 weird how the villain changes too um but always has uh rory kinnear's face uh mm -hmm. so she um she runs from the villain who at this point is the teenager or the green man i can't quite remember but she shuts the door and oh no it's the green man she shuts the door and it sticks its hand through the mail slot just like before. Except this time she has a knife. So she sticks it in the arm. And this scene was awesome, right? Yeah. It, this it was <laughs> one of the more unnerving uh, scenes. Like, I was definitely squirming and cringing. Like, it was because the practical effect as it occurs is really great. Um, it's a normal type thing. It's somewhat innocuous. Like, it's just a knife through the arm. But they take their time with what is going to happen. Like this yeah. effect of where he has the knife through his arm. Uh, the knife is restricted by the mail slot. And so like, he's using that friction of it to slowly pull um, his arm out of the mail slot. But because the blade is facing toward the palm, it's cutting its way as he's slowly pulling. 
And for me, the most unnerving part happens where it gets to like the wrist and there might be a bone or something in the way and it doesn't just gently glide. And he like taps it like he uh, uh, and like they're that clicking noise of it in the visual. Like I was just like, I fucking like I I like, squirmed <laughs> yeah. physically in my seat because it was just like you felt it uh, really eerie. And it but it completely bifurcates his his forearm. Right. And it cuts the, the hand right down there right yeah um so now he's free um you know she hears the noise she runs in the house and it's the mask that the teenager was wearing and it's the teenager and he's saying shit that the teenager would say um and, but his arm is is cut in two and so now you're like oh oh it was the teenager the whole time no it it wasn't the teenager the whole time this is all this is all essentially the green man, right? Um, so I don't exactly remember how she had the how the fight or the the altercation with the teenager goes, but eventually, it's the vicar, um, and the vicar has the same wound, the same arm cut in two. So now it was the green man, then it was the teenager, now it's the vicar, and the vicar, and this is kind of the the showdown here where he says like all of these disgusting things about how he knew that um, that she that she was like the essence of carnality <laughs> <laughs> of how he hasn't been able to stop thinking about when she lost her virginity since she since he saw her yeah. uh, um, and it's weird the things that the character says because he's not assaulting her um he's getting a little gross right like he puts like his his split arm on her here and like it's kind of wrapped around here not really wrapped around here but it's here and she'll have this like blood stain there the rest of the the movie um and he gets close and he definitely presses himself against her but she just stabs him right in the stomach like she's got the knife the whole time and she's kind of just listening and kind of like what the fuck is going on i think and... i will state that this is an assault yeah yeah obviously um but they're not fighting he's not hitting her like this isn't like an action packed scene she, no it's slow is... but he is pinning her against the vanity yeah. and it seems like he is about to enter her it seems like his goal is to enter her right um but he, she stabs him. She denies him, right? Yeah. Uh, she penetrates him. She penetrates him with, yes. with with a knife, which backs him off, and then um, some really rad shit happens. And apparently, okay. So we'll pause here for a moment to just to say that the internet exploded with A24's new movie has people walking out in the middle of it. <laughs> Like, I saw, I must have read that headline a hundred times. Right. Um, first of all, this is literally ten minutes before the end of the movie. Uh, yeah. So, so middle of the movie, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, they're not wrong, technically, if it's not the very beginning or very end, the middle. And I so I, th I think that they're kind of uh, 
using some license there to describe it that and just, well, just to say the end just say the end of the movie has people well, nah because uh, people, yeah, leave, then, people leave at the end anyway i don't know like oh yeah that's uh, when everyone leaves in the movie i leave when i don't leave whenever you know when well it's i'll done. tell you this headline had me going like oh we're about 45 minutes in where's that fucked up shit and uh, i didn't i didn't get it till minute 80 <laughs> okay <right. laughs> um so the uh, the dying uh, green man who has taken a few forms this evening and attempted to um, to create uh, a birth uh, within our uh, main character um, now kind of right strips himself of his clothes and uh, under his cock and balls is a vagina <laughs> and he births uh another rory kinnear which has a vagina that births another rory kinnear and she's just watching she's got the knife she's not killing any of these right um but these the seems like the old ones aren't alive anymore they seem to like deflate into like flesh piles only the new ones uh are seemingly even living right yeah once at birth is it's no longer there or embodied yeah. uh, physically it, it dies in the act so yeah the the greenman births the boy who then births the vicar um who, who then, then births jeffrey, jeffrey who then births the uh, finally uh through its mouth births james her her right. ex-husband her ex-husband who then they have a they have the final conversation which i already touched on where she asks him what he wanted from her and he says to love me which is the final time a man imposes uh his emotions on her where it's her fault for not loving him he needs her to love him. Um, it cuts away here. Uh, I think mm -hmm. I think we assume because she's got the axe, right? Um, which which was the smoking axe because it was referred to earlier by the by the friend. Uh, <laughs> we didn't get to see her use it, but we assume that um, that he takes the axe here. I think. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, and then a nice little ending shot of the friend finally gets there and it's silent and uh she walks through she sees the crashed car um which was jeffrey which was so weird right because mm -hmm. like so she did get attacked by all the versions of of the green man at the end right um she turns the corner and she's sitting on the stairs outside and she sees the friend and the friend is pregnant and she smiles and i think that's important too and then we cut and then we cut to credits yeah um so how how did you interpret the ending um so i suppose you know when i first saw it uh and i'm leaving the theater and sitting with it 
I continually was just like, okay, so so what was the reality or what was the character? Because you know, you you just now were describing it as uh, the green man doing this, the green man doing that, and it's like, well, there's something to that, um, but these are the characters that are doing this, but they are showing up at awkward times, and then there are actual life and death type interactions or moments that are occurring with each of them. And so like, but then there's the hallucinatory potential with the dandelion spores that the character blows into her that could then become this acid trip type effect that she's experiencing. And so um, in short, all of those acts are occurring to me, um, whether they're the, the actual physical embodiment of that character or a manifestation of that character that she is then seeing as that entity. Um, and she's interpreting it as the boy, the vicar, the whatever, um, whatever it is, that's how she's experiencing it. And, but all those actions are occurring because the, the chaos that you see with the friend, you know, the fact that the car is still there, you see the blood trail of all yeah, the events it, that have occurred. It all happened. It's, yeah. It all happened. And so the final scene, you know, the friend being pregnant, I think is, imp is important. You know, she very well could be, uh, inseminated in some kind of way, you know, maybe that did happen. You know, there's all kinds of imagery that alludes to that with the dayline spore, you know, his seed has entered her and, maybe she's actually pregnant with James's baby and a lot of these emotions and things that she's working through are happening in part because of that and what that is doing with your your mind and that is just laying adding another layer to how she's a uh, reeling from the events that occurred with James um and maybe that's like a that's like why is the friend pregnant the friend doesn't need to be pregnant and she, so like so she does need to be pregnant but go on for, for well, my interpretation. No, but that's what I'm saying. Like, for for Alex Garland, the friend doesn't need to be pregnant. Like, this character doesn't have to have be pregnant. It's like it's like uh, it's an intentional act to kind of help explain or inform how to interpret. And so, I think it helps guide you to a, a thinking in that vein. Um, and she has that assured smile that, like, you know, she's battled the demons and she's come out uh, on the other side. Um, better equipped to navigate her own future, her own path. Um, and she's gotten over the trauma to some extent of what James has put her through. This, this retreat did achieve what she wanted it to, although not the way that she had intended it on occurring, you know? Yeah, I agree. She definitely got closure, um, by the end. Um, I definitely think it was from, getting to kill the green man in james's visage mm -hmm. there right mm -hmm. um so for me uh they're definitely all the same character they're definitely all the green man uh that explains the face right um that also explains why the, the teenager and the vicar both have the arm uh wound because he changed form but he couldn't heal the wound right so this is where right it's, this is where but... it's Go ahead. <laughs> but that visual is also the only reason that visual exists is because of the husband, because that's what happened to the husband. The uh, husband is impaled on the on on the Iron Maiden at the bottom of the 
Um, and it slits the arm open. And it slits the arm open, and his right. leg is is bent to scale. So they're embodying how she last saw the husband. Right. Okay. Yeah. And and maybe that is why. Okay. So. So the green man needs her to uh, procreate uh, according to nature, um, but she refuses him. And what we see at the end, those multiple births is is man if man had to uh you know uh self-replicate right if we didn't have women um we would just make the same thing over and over and over again we would just recreate ourselves yeah well and it's just generational uh toxicity that continues to go on you're just a version of yourself of yourself of yourself it's right. cyclical and then the the smile at the end is the uh is the 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 woman pregnant the the balance right like she just came out of this horrific experience with the with the four birds of the green man um obviously she you know she does get her closure so i think there's some of that in there but also i think it is just the sight of her friend mm -hmm. uh, who who is who is pregnant um, is what brings the smile to her face. Um, so yeah, I mean, I love this movie. <laughs> I literally, I can't wait to watch it again. Um, yeah, uh, I'm giving it a solid eight out of ten. I think that's where I rested. Let me just double check. Yeah, I gave it an eight. Yeah, a twenty-four does it again. Alex Garland does it again. I love yeah. I love Ex Machina. Uh, I know so many people who hate it. Sorry, Alex Garland. <laughs> um, oh, do you? Oh, oh my God! I think I think almost everyone I know who's seen it doesn't like it. Really? Why? Yeah, I, they honestly, they always say the ending. the The ending, they just didn't like the ending. I think the ending was great. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's very good. <laughs> yeah, he never should have trusted the robot. Like. Right. Like that that's the moral of the story. Don't trust the yeah. robot. Like <laughs> uh anyway though, uh excellent work. Uh everyone involved. Rory Kinnear fucking killed it. All those all those different roles. Um I forgot who played um I can't even remember her name. Harper was Harper, played by Je Harper. Jesse Buckley. Jesse Buckley, yeah. She was she was fantastic. Um, yeah, just a, Men ha just... has a uh, a thirty nine percent audience score on the old Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, well they it's because they couldn't handle the the vagina. Yeah, I know the the body horror that it turns into. Yeah, is very off putting for a lot of people. Um, if you're not used to seeing it, or I don't know, I mean. It looked amazing. I don't, I don't know what people were talking about. like. Oh, it's it's cool as shit. It's psychological. I... It's like you know it, and I think people are upset or annoyed. Like I don't need to see it a million times. Like you don't have to do it. Okay, I got it the first time. Like, well, the third it, time it, it came out of his back, and the I know. the fourth time it came out of his mouth. So shut the fuck up. <laughs> right, but there's also like you know the the act of birth, the uh, the horrors of the of of it and what it's doing like just because it comes where how 
birthing a baby occurs uh, is is a miracle, but it's it is graphically absurd. And so I think that showing it occur in all these other ways through the body is meant to heighten the insanity of what the female body is capable of. Oh, yeah. Because And like, it's just like, it's an exaggeration of it. So I think, yes, seeing it in all these different iterations is helping to drive that point home, that theme to give better awareness or understanding. And it's just done in this grotesque, uh, absurd way. It's, yeah, those are yeah. all great, informative, uh, intentional decisions. That's, it's also, so when, it's also nature. It also happens a million times a day. Right. You know, if you're, if you're not going to give birth yourself, you're going to be the father probably at least once in your lifetime, statistically. Um, mm -hmm. This is just a thing that people shouldn't be squirmy about because it's 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 real life okay yeah it's absurd in a movie it's a hermaphroditic uh idol that's uh, that's performing these these births of his own self um mm -hmm. so yeah it's like really crazy and weird but like the the actual practical effects of it um i mean it just looked incredible uh, yeah and and i mean you know it's a it's a penis and a vagina like get over it how much fucking porn do you watch you, you mm -hmm. can't you can't handle uh some cock and balls in your in your horror like i thought it was amazing that it was in there when i'm wa like okay so so right. the, ho the homeless guy's got got a swinging dick through the whole movie whatever when he, it gives birth to the first version yeah and it's really close in on the vagina and you've just got this, like, gravity's putting it where it's supposed to go. It's like, it's laying there the way it would lay there if you were laying on your back. Right. And it's just there. It's just dick and balls. And you're like, and I'm like, wow, they left that there. They didn't, right. like, drop the camera down an inch so you didn't see it. Like, right. it's all there. I mean, literally kudos to everyone involved for everything they did in this movie. Uh, people who walked out of there should be made to watch it again <laughs> for being big babies about it. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's yeah, it's maybe a little bit childish uh that people react like, I don't know. I mean, there are worse, more offensive things that assault your eyes every day. This just happens to be uh, yeah, for this no, to exactly. to be the thing that makes you turn away is shocking yeah like there's there's more graphic pornography on the internet that people are watching right now than what happened at the end of that movie and if you're walking out on that like i don't even yeah. know like what kind of person are you so anyway <laughs> uh mad god got a seven from me Got a nine from this guy over here. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, men, uh, we both landed at an eight. Super solid. Um, we have no idea what we're going to watch next week. So 
Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe. Make sure you get on that Twitter so you can find out ahead of time uh, what we're going to talk about. Maybe watch them with us and, uh, you know, talk about them or watch the, show, watch the show live so you've seen the movies first, that kind of thing. Didn't really know what I was trying to say there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for episode 24 of the podcast for the recently deceased, I'm Nate Roberts. And I'm Rodney Godek. Take care. And we'll see you next week.